um, or fold a bag of chips, right? Um, we are starting this new series this week called Life Hacks. And by the way, I'm not David Culp. I'm not your lead pastor. I happen to be his wife. He is at Benton Heights campus today. Pastor Kevin is gone, and he took the opportunity to go over there and be with that campus. So you guys got stuck with me. Sorry about your luck. But anyway, um, I just want to point out what this guy said at the end of this life hack. And this is what he said. He said, sometimes a small advantage someplace in life can yield tremendous results someplace else. Now, this series that we're talking about, Life Hacks, we're going to do a study in the book of Proverbs. So as we go through this, we're going to be pulling out little nuggets of truth. But this phrase really kind of defines this sermon series for us. So we're going to dig into some nuggets of wisdom in the book of Proverbs to discover, discover these little nuggets of truth that can be life hacks for us. And it's interesting, we had decided to do this series, and about three weeks later, I noticed Good Morning America started a new segment on there called Life Hacks or something about hacks. And so I told David, I said, that's kind of cool because that means First Church is on trend. We know what we're doing, right? And the very first one that they showed was that bag of chips thing. So I can't take credit for it. That was their first hack that they showed on Good Morning America. But even if, no matter where you're at in your walk with Christ, um, if you are an old-time follower of Jesus Christ, if you're fairly new in your walk with Jesus Christ, if you're somewhere in between, or even if you really don't know about all this God stuff, this series, this life hack series is for you. Because God's word applies to all of us. There are just easy, simple truths that we can all apply in our life. And just as he said, it can yield tremendous results. So this morning, we're going to jump right in. And we're going to start with Proverbs 22, verse 4. So if you have your Bible or if you have your phone, look up Proverbs 22, verse 4, and it says this. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So since we're talking about these nuggets in terms of life hacks, I want you to check out the verbiage in this portion of Scripture, Proverbs 22, verse 4. It says here that there's a reward for humility. We're all in for a reward, right? We all like rewards. We all like being rewarded for what we do. And it says here that the reward for humility is riches, honor, and life. So also what I want you to notice in the verbiage of this Scripture is that there's something coupled with humility, and it's this, the fear of the Lord. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about humility first, then we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord, then we're going to talk about the rewards that come from humility. But first, let's talk about humility itself and understand what humility really is. Humility can be really one of those tricky attributes to get. If you have kids, you know when they're smaller, they think life totally revolves around them, right? Or maybe you're an adult that still thinks the world revolves around you. I will never forget the time that we had to set both of our boys down at one point or another, both Caleb and Jacob. I know it's hard to believe they're pastor's kids and they're supposed to be perfect. But we had to set them down at the table. And I remember the day I said to them, I've got some news to break to you. The world does not revolve around you. It's hard to grasp that, that the world doesn't revolve around us. And that's really what humility is all about, is that when we finally realize that there are others that are living on this planet with us and we recognize them as equals to us, that is when we know that we are humble. Well, not really. 
humility can be so tricky because if just the moment that you think you're humble and you start getting really proud of all your accomplishments and everything that you've done, pride can steal your humility away. But on the flip side of that, if you often notice your pride, that you think, man, that was prideful in that moment, you may be more humble than you think. Sometimes humility can be confused with that idea of I have to think less of myself. I have to be self-deprecating in order to be humble. And that's not true either. We don't have to think less of ourselves. You can be grateful for who God made you to be. You can be thankful for your gifts, for your talents, for the attributes that he gave you, and still be humble. In short, let me put it to you this way. Humility means having a view of yourself that doesn't get in the way of you loving others. Let me say that again. Humility means having a view of yourself that doesn't get in the way of you loving others. The purpose of humility isn't to make you think less of who you are, but to enable you to love others regardless of who they are. Humility is simply delightfully self-forgetful. We forget about ourselves. The humble don't fret over our own prestige or our position or that of others. Robert Roberts, which by the way, I just have to say, if you have the last name of Roberts, why would you name your kid Robert? I don't know. But anyway, they did. So Robert Roberts said this. He has observed that humility is a transcendent self-confidence, a quality of character that liberates people from having to compare themselves with others and frees them to love everyone equally. Charles Spurgeon also said this, and this is going to be on the screen for you. Humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. To make a right estimate of oneself. It's a great place to start in the area of humility. And the great place to get a right estimate of who you are is in your relationship with God. So what we're going to do now, we're going to break down humility into two parts. Humility and our walk with God first. So let's talk about this. I need humility in my relationship with God. I need to understand who I am and who God is in relation to me. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. By the grace of God, I am what I am. God is the creator. He's the great sustainer of all that we see. And he is the one that is ordering and shaping and forming and controlling the universe. We are not. And once we get that realization under control, then we can walk in humility in our relationship with God. I am who I am, and I understand who God is. Look at Romans 7, verse 18. It says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Humility really helps us uh, kind of remember what our nature is. It's that we were all, every single one of us, we were born into this world with a sin problem. And when we have that right relationship with God and we're humble in that relationship with God, it helps us to understand that we're all on this equal playing field. We are all lost and broken people in need of a Savior. And God and his plan for sending Jesus Christ is our only hope for life, for eternal life. 
Humility in my walk with God helps remind me that I need a Savior. And left to my own devices, I'm broken. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you saw that I put up a quote this week of Dwight L. Moody. And it's funny that as we were studying this week, I kept coming across these things that kept reminding me of what we were talking about. And Dwight L. Moody said this, Let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. Let me say that again. Let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. That's just a simple, basic truth to remember every day. God can do more with our life than we ever thought, ever imagined, or ever dreamed. And once we humble ourselves under his power, he has amazing things planned for us. The problem is is that we all want to be in the driver's seat. We all want to be in control. And part of humility and our walk with God is realizing that victory comes when I get a right view of myself. And when I humble myself in relation to God, I realize that I need to let him put his plan into action in my life. That is having humility in your walk with your Savior. I can't do it on my own. I can't beat my addiction. I can't love my difficult children. I can't live in relationship with my ex-husband or my ex-wife. I can't love that difficult, cranky individual that I have to sit next to in the cubicle every single day. I can't do any of that unless I'm walking humbly in my relationship with God. Notice also, whenever he talks about humility, he also talks about, in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. It says humility and a fear of the Lord. Now, the concept of the fear of the Lord is something that's kind of woven in. And if you've ever read through Proverbs, it's a concept that's woven in and out of Proverbs all the way through. And Martin Luther talked about this key concept of the fear of the Lord, and he said this. He said, it's not fear like a prisoner in a torture chamber has for his tormentor, or the jailer or the executioner. It's not the fear like a slave has for an evil master who is intent on beating and tormenting. It's the fear of a child who has a loving father who disciplines. A child that's lo- that loves and that is loved. A child that has a deep desire to please his father, to not disappoint him or offend him. That is what it means when it talks about the fear of the Lord. Hebrews 10.31 says this, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's healthy for us as members of the human race to realize who we are in relationship to God. And when we realize that he is in control and we have that healthy fear, that healthy desire to not want to disappoint him or offend him, that's when we can truly walk in humility. One other dimension of humility that we need to talk about is not only in relationship with God, but also in relationship to, human, to the human race, to humanity. Again, humility can influence your relationships. And if you've ever had to try to have a relationship with a prideful person, can I get a witness of how difficult that is? Have you ever driven in the car with a prideful person trying to get somewhere? It's very difficult. But as we said earlier, it's, it's not when we're, when we're living in relationship with the human race and we're trying to dwell in humility, it's not about thinking less of ourselves, like we should shrink back when we're dealing with those prideful people, but it's thinking rightly about ourselves so that we can love people regardless of who they are. Even if they're the most prideful human being you've ever met in your entire life, humility can put that in perspective regardless of who they are. Philippians 2 verse 3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Humility really does impact the way that we view our world and that we interact with our world. It is how love expresses itself toward those of a different status, of a different rank, or a different position. Humility is how we interact with those that we come in contact with every single day. It doesn't mean, now I want you to hear me, humility does not mean that we deny the differences among people, but it does mean that we look past those differences to the underlying equality of all people under God Almighty. We are all equal, every single one of us. And we deserve to be loved. That's what humility is about. It's not about not seeing the differences, but it's about loving people in spite of them. That's what humility is. Jesus Christ himself was the ultimate example of humility. His teachings were actually revolutionary. If you go back and you look at history, and I just I read this interesting book this week. It's called Humilitas, and it is by John Dixon. And in the front of that book, it talks about the history of humility. And in the Greek world, humility was not seen as a positive virtue. As a matter of fact, it was not taught in, Greek, in, the Greek, in Greek times back then. So when Jesus Christ came along, his teachings of humility, they were revolutionary in his time. It was definitely not a virtue, but Jesus Christ came along and he taught us things like anyone who wants to be great must be willing to be a servant. Can you imagine what the Greeks were thinking at that point? And he said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we just talked about that in our Beatitudes series, that we talked, our family chat series that we just finished up. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. But Jesus Christ in his death modeled humility in that he was willing to lay down his life for us. In Philippians, it talks about how Jesus didn't count equality with God, which he did possess, by the way. Something to be grasped, but laid it aside and took on the very nature of a servant. Jesus never allowed his status as the Son of God to hinder his relationship with others and never hindered his way of loving people. So how then should we even more not let our pride and thinking great of ourselves keep us from loving others? Jesus Christ taught us in that ultimate example. Now over the last week, our t television screens have been inundated with the Pope coming to America. Had, did anybody like really sit and watch that very much? No? Speeches? Yes? No? Everybody awake still? Yeah? You learned how to tie your shoes so you're done now? You've checked out? I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, the Pope came and whether you agree with his theology or whether you agree with everything he said, the one thing that the Pope did, well first of all he rode around in a fiat the whole time he was here, this tiny little car. Second of all, he gave up meeting with the rich and powerful and the heads of state to go meet with the homeless. So whether you agree with his theology or his politics, you can certainly agree that he gives us an ultimate example of humility. That was humility in flesh and blood. So now that we've talked about humility in our relationship with God, we've talked about the fear of the Lord, and now we've talked about humility in our walk with with humankind or humanity, let's talk about the rewards of humility. 
And this is the final aspect of humility we're going to talk about. And we said at the beginning of this life hack that when it's applied in an area that it has the potential to make significant difference in other areas of our life. So that's certainly the way it is with what Proverbs is saying. If we apply humility to our life, it will affect other aspects of our life. So let me say this up front, and I I want you to hear me. Um, Proverbs is filled with life hacks, nuggets of truth, like we've said, that when applied can impact our lives in powerful ways. But it is not necessarily, there are not necessarily definitive promises in Proverbs. The Proverbs hold up certain paths because they reflect the way God ordinarily distributes his blessings, but ordinarily does not mean definitively. This is not prosperity preaching. I'm not telling you that if you do this, tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to be a wealthy person. It would be great if it worked that way, but that is not the way it works, and that is not what I'm saying when we talk about this. So what I want you to do is just think about that when we're talking about this next point, about the riches that we can gain if we apply humility to our lives. So go back to our text, Proverbs 22, verse 4, if you still have it open, and look at this. It says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So let's talk about that first reward of humility. The first reward of humility is riches. Many of you probably have read the book uh, by Collins called Good to Great. And if you haven't, let me just tell you what this book was written about. The book was written about the findings of a five-year research project that sought answers to what helped companies move from good to great. And one of the things that was a common denominator when you read this book is what they found out, and it kind of shocked the researchers actually when they found this, is that level five leaders, those top shelf leaders, all possessed one attribute, and that was humility, coupled with professional will. Literally, top practitioners. Now, these are not all Christian people. Top practitioners in the business world are saying that humility is the key to top-level leadership. Now, you can benefit certainly materially by living this attribute out in your business life, but there are also riches that are not tangible that I believe Proverbs would say to you today, you have, if you are sitting next to your spouse, that, that is riches. Some of you may disagree, but just pretend, okay? That is riches. If you're sitting next to a child, that is wealth. Again, some of you may disagree because you had to kick them out the door this morning, but that is wealth. If you have a roof over your head, whether it's big or small or somewhere in between, that is wealth. If you have a job, that is wealth. If you have healthy, a healthy family, that is wealth. We've been reminded so many times this week that life is fleeting and life itself, is that is riches. And what this proverb is saying, that if you will live a humble life, it will benefit your relationships, it will benefit so much more, and that is how we define riches. If you are a lover of Jesus, that is riches. It's not about the material possessions, which it's all great. Not saying it's not. But there are riches that transcend the greenbacks. The second reward of humility is honor. In Proverbs 29, 23, it says this, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. People want to be honored. 
In fact, um, some of us want to do honorable things not because we're honorable, but because we want to be viewed as honorable, and actually that's not very honorable at all. We like to be noticed. We like to be honored. And if we accomplish some great thing, we want the world to know it. And it's proven on Facebook and Twitter every single day. We want the entire world to know how fabulous we are. We're not afraid to put it out there. God's ways are interesting, though. They're not like ours. They're almost backward. And the words to Dan's song also said that, that God's ways are almost backward than what we would think they are. It's because he says the ones who pursue recognition and seek to be honored are humiliated in the end, and those who are humble are the ones who will be honored in the end. And if you read the book of Proverbs, that's a theme throughout it. Two verses in particular, Proverbs 29, 23, and Proverbs 18, 12, talk about how the humble will be honored. And by the way, just as an aside, Jesus Christ taught this theme over and over and over again in the New Testament. If you just read his, the story of his life, he taught this lesson. So let's go on and look at the third reward of humility, and that is life. Okay, so let me take you back. We're talking about these rewards, and if we're looking at the reward of riches, that is mater- that's a material reward. Then we're talking about the reward of honor. That is a social reward. So this last reward of humility, life, is a spiritual reward. You could look at it as a spiritual reward. So a material reward, a social reward, and a spiritual reward. It's about the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10 when he talked about life. Chris Spitters this week did an informal little poll of the staff, and he sent us out an email, and he said, I want all of you to answer this question. What are three people, who are three people in the Old Testament that you feel like were great leaders in their time? So if I ask you that question, and this is the crowd participation time or moment of this sermon. So if I ask you that question, who would you consider to be a great leader in the Old Testament? What would you say? Just holler it out all at once. Okay. I heard Moses. Yeah, Joseph. Okay. So we sent in, all of us sent in our emails to Chris, and there was one common denominator, and it was Moses. And now let me read to you, which was which was awesome because Chris had this scripture picked out and we all proved his point. So it was Numbers 12.3. Let me read this scripture to you. Numbers 12.3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And that was a common denominator in almost every staff person's answer to that question. He kind of proved the point in that moment. Proverbs 22.4 says this. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. We've talked about a material reward, a social reward, a spiritual reward. We've talked about having humility in our walk with God. We've talked about having humility in our walk with mankind. Humility is a scary thing because some of us, it makes us feel like we're putting ourselves in a vulnerable place, but that is what Christ calls us to be. That is the example he set in humility. I have to tell you that when David asked me to speak this weekend, I was thinking about our schedule, and I was thinking, you know what, Lord, I just don't know if I can say yes. I, we are, let me tell you about my day yesterday. I drove to Grand Rapids for a bridal shower at 10.30 in the morning. I left Grand Rapids and drove over to Ann Arbor because Caleb had a 5 o'clock game. Then we drove home from Ann Arbor, so we didn't get home till 10 o'clock last night. 
And I was setting up in the bed, and that was, that's like been our week, in addition to some other crazy stuff that just goes on in your life in general. And if you're a leader, you probably know what I mean. And I was sitting in bed last night, and I said to the Lord, I said, you know what, God, this has to be all about you, because I am, I am worn out. We set out in 40-degree weather with it raining directly into our face. And when we got home, our faces hurt. We could hardly feel our toes and our fingers. I mean, we were worn out. But in that moment, God reminded me, you know what, Crystal, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about my word. It's about what, I, what I've called you and David to do. This is not about you. It doesn't matter if you're tired. It's about me. Who cares if they even see you or remember you at the end of this? It's if they remember what my word said to them. It's amazing how in one moment flat, God can humble you and remind you that you're being prideful When I started thinking about, can I do this in my own power, that was a prideful moment, and God reminded me that it's about him. So I started asking myself, how can I challenge First Church to really apply this to their lives in a really meaningful way? So I went back to that book, Humilitas, that I told you that was written by John Dixon. And in the back of that book, he talked about how to begin to practice humility in your life. And so I'm going to give you just some fine little points of how to do this. And I would I'd challenge you to write these down or just commit them to memory. Number one, he made the statement that we are shaped by what we love. And you, you know that. We're shaped by what we love. So... If we begin to love humility, admire it, and long for it, that's what can kickstart the process of being transformed by it. I'm going to say that again. This is what he said. He said, if we begin to love humility, admire it, and long for it, that is what can kickstart the process of being transformed by it. Begin to love humility. Not just the virtue, but begin to love humility in the other people around you that you see. Whenever you see humility, love it in people. Admire it. Don't be creepy. Just, you know, (laughs) admire it from afar. (laughs) And that brings you to that second point. Reflect on the lives of the humble. Again, don't be creepy. Don't start following people around. But reflect on the lives of the humble. If we're shaped by what we admire, if we're shaped by what we love then find admirable examples and study them. And that will go a long way toward forming humility in us. Get a good biography. Read about somebody that was humble and that showed that and walked that out in their lives. If you work with somebody that shows humility in the way that they lead people, study it, watch it. And I would even challenge you to begin to put some of those practices in place in your own life. I'm not saying to copy somebody. You need to be the best version of who you are. But you know how it is to flesh those virtues out in your own life. So begin to do that as you watch other people. And the third thing would be to act humbly. I'm recommending that you develop humility, you develop the muscle of humility by exercising it, even if you don't fill up, the, fill up to the task. So this was one example given in a book. One person said they put 10 coins in their pocket at the beginning of the day. And every time they encouraged somebody or complimented somebody or said something good to someone else, they would take one coin out of this pocket and put it in this, in this pocket. And then at the end of the day, they would be 
they would be reminded of how encouraging they had been. That is one way to act humbly, is to believe in other people. And the same could be the other. If, if you've been putting po- coins in this pocket, the second you go to criticize somebody or say something harsh, take it out of this pocket and put it back in. Now, this is not, I'm not saying that you can't have healthy critiques of one another. Actually, that is one of the things that I would challenge you if you want to begin to practice humility is allow somebody in your life to hold you accountable. Open the door to be critiqued. I allow my, and I know this may seem weird to you guys. David and I have a, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but David, David lets the boys critique his sermons. That is a dangerous thing. <laughs> they say really honest things to him sometimes. They get onto him for his corny um, jokes, just so you know they've got your back. But I also let David critique me. I had a situation, I serve on some boards and things, um, and I have in our boys in the public schools and just different things, and I had a situation this week, and I just needed his advice. And I literally took out a pen and piece of paper and wrote down things before I called this individual that I was going to have to have a difficult conversation with. I have allowed that in my life. I have another person in this church body, a woman, that I allow to challenge me. And she has earned that right in my life. And I have watched her emulate humility in many, many ways. And because of that, I've opened my life up to her. That is one recommendation I would make to you is have an accountability partner and give them, give them the right and give them the privilege of being, make sure it's healthy, make sure it's a healthy relationship, but allow them to begin to critique you and help you in a healthy way. And this is another thing that I have started doing every morning when I get out of bed, and I would just challenge you to do this, is pray for God to help you to emulate humility. And my simple prayer before I, my feet hit the floor in the morning is this, God, less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you. If people see Jesus before they see you, That is humility. Because Jesus Christ was the ultimate example of what it meant to be humble. I'm going to ask our praise team to come up. And today as we end, we're going to do something um, that I think is a good way to end as we talk about humility. One other thing that I would do, if you're looking to have more humility in your life and to emulate this virtue, I would also tell you to study humility. Study it. Get it, dig deep in the word of God and find out what Proverbs says about it. Find out what Jesus says about it and just study it. And if you do that, if you really study and you dig into the life of Jesus Christ, you will see the ultimate example of what it means to be humble. And I've said that several times. And today we're going to end this service by taking communion. And as you take communion, I just want to challenge you. To come face to face with a holy God. The God that gave his son for you. And as you take the bread which represents Jesus' body. And as you take the juice which represents his blood. Remember the humility it took for Jesus to lay down his life. Crucifixion was the most humiliating death. It was seen as the most humiliating way to die. It was reserved for slaves and criminals. Jesus Christ was so far above that. 
And yet, he died that horrible death. And I say, he did that to give us the picture of what it is to see hope wrapped in humility. And this world needs to see hope wrapped in humility. They need to see Jesus in you. And when we begin to see less of ourselves and more of Jesus in our lives, when we begin to see everyone else as equals with us, not not the same as us, but beautifully understanding the differences that we have and in the process understanding that those differences make this world a beautiful place. And because of that, we're called to love. We're called to love. And that's why Jesus died, is so that we could know what it is to love, to be loved, and to have life eternal, which is a reward of living a a humble life. These life hacks that we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks, if you apply them to your life, I promise, you'll see tremendous results in other aspects of your life. So I'm gonna ask you to stand right now as we pray. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna come take communion. And as you take communion, I would just ask you to pray this simple prayer. Jesus, thank you for your death. And Father, fill me with more of you and less of me. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you challenge us. We thank you for the way that you speak to us. So Father, I thank you today for the way that you are challenging me in this area. Father, I pray that you would help us to practice what it is that you've given us in our everyday life. That Father, when we're faced with challenges, to remember that we are hope that should be wrapped in humility that we are the face of Jesus Christ. And Father God, I pray that this week, this life hack would improve our relationship with you and our relationship with humanity. And Father God, as we have a healthy fear of you, that we become the individuals that you desire us to be, constantly focused on you, less of us and Father God, we thank you for this bread and this juice. And Father God, we remember the sacrifice that you gave in sending your son to die for us. And today, God, we thank you for that hope. And we thank you that we are reminded today that without you, we are nothing. Without you, we would make a mess of our lives. So Father, today, in this moment, we give you praise, we give you honor, and we give you glory for the way that you challenge us, that you go toe-to-toe with us, to make us into the people that you planned us to be from the very beginning. In Jesus' precious, holy, awesome, mighty, humble name we pray. Amen. Just come as you feel led.